Hello and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke, where today it's my great pleasure to be joined by artist Jean-Marie Beaver and the director of Moudam, Suzanne Cotter. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. Now, of course, you're here because at the moment, Jean-Marie, you have an exhibition at Moudam. Can you tell us, first of all, how that makes you feel to be exhibited at Moudam? Well, it's, it's a good feeling. I didn't expect it. I never expected it. It was very strange. We were in, with my wife in the south of France and I was working on a project with Serge Tonnard to make a book. He made a translation of the Tao Te King by Lao Tzu. That's a, a very ancient Chinese text. And he translated it into Luxembourgish and he asked me to make illustrations. And one day in my post, I got a letter from Suzanne <laughs> Kota and she asked me if I would like to make a show at Mudam. Didn't expect it at all. I just saw her two or three times before. One day she came to my studio, but I thought she goes to all artists in Luxembourg that may be of some interest. Well, it certainly is a great honour. Now, Suzanne, I would really, first of all, like to ask you to explain to anybody who may be listening not from Luxembourg, tell us about Mudam, what it is, in fact. Well, Moudam, the name Moudam is in fact an acronym for uh, the Musée d'Art Moderne. Grand Duc Jean is the full title of the museum. So Moudam is like MoMA in French, Museum of Modern Art. And it is in fact a museum of contemporary art. It is the Museum of Contemporary Art in Luxembourg. It's housed in a beautiful building designed by the architect I.M. Pei, who was awarded the Pritzker Prize and who, in fact, passed away last year at the age of, I think he was 103. Very elderly but extraordinarily important and influential architect. But the museum opened in 2006. We have uh, between 650 and 700 works of contemporary art a number of them are large-scale installations. Uh, we continue to acquire for the collection. We acquire uh, in modest number, but with a great deal of ambition. Uh, we have a program of temporary exhibitions that varies over time. And we are in dialogue with museums around the world who are working with contemporary artists and contemporary art. And why did you want to showcase Jean-Marie Beaver's work? For a number of reasons. First of all, because I think he's a very uh, beautiful and very relevant painter. I'm very interested in painting. That's my a personal point of view. But professionally, uh, Jean-Marie has work already in the Moudam collection. Uh, I met him. Uh, as Jean-Marie mentioned, on a number of occasions, and I was interested to know more. So I did a little bit of research, and it was really going to visit him in his studio to be able to spend that time and to be able to see his examples of his painting from very, very early on, uh, which are still with Jean-Marie, that I was able to have a greater sense of just how dedicated he has been all his life as an artist, but as an artist who works with the medium of painting. So that it, it's really his work that persuaded me first and foremost. And then, of course, in relation to the museum and the way we program, it's important for us to be able to show the work of artists from Luxembourg. We, are, we have an international view. I like to say that Moudam is like Luxembourg. We're a European museum, but with a view to the world. 
but we're also very much anchored here in Luxembourg. And so we know that for people here in Luxembourg, the work of artists who are from here resonates with them in a very special way. This isn't unique to Luxembourg in, in London uh, or in Lisbon or in New York. It will be the same. People, even if they don't know the artist or their work, the fact that they are from the same place as them would attract their interest. And I think it's important to be able to do that, to attract people from, from Luxembourg, to anchor the activity of the museum in the place in which it's located, but also to be able to become to understand and to recognize the work of artists who are from here. The other thing I would say, it's a third element which intrigued me and was definitely a motivating factor, was that Jean-Marie Biver is not unknown his work is actually in many public collections. You see his work in town halls across the country. Having met him and done my research, I saw a painting by his in the Clinique Daesh when I was having some treatment for a, for my foot and sitting there thinking, that's such a beautiful painting, and then getting closer and seeing, oh, it's by Jean-Marie Biver. And I thought it was very interesting. He's an artist who's recognised, who's appreciated, and yet who is under the radar. And one of the things we can do as a museum is give visibility to artists and really benefit from the important platform that we, we are, I think, for art and for culture. Well, you've mentioned three things that I'd like to pick up on there. You use the great artistic term relevant. So I'm going to dig into that. You also talked about painting and then to showcase and to give visibility to artists. So Jean-Marie, I want to turn to you first of all, because we met yesterday in Moudam actually and, and walked around your, your fantastic exhibition at the moment. Painting is your main medium. You have mosaics and other things as well, but it's mostly painting some pen work as well. About 20 years ago, at the end of the 20th century, critics, curators, even museum directors and artists themselves thought that painting might be a dying art form. It hasn't been the case for you, so I'd just like your thoughts on that. It was not the first death of painting. I mean, that started with uh, Marcel Duchamp and even before him. Many people don't know where Marcel Duchamp comes from because in 1880 there was a group of students who made jokes and all Dadaism went out of that little circle, small circle. Many people don't even know it, just as uh, Marcel Duchamp made it popular. In some way, he really made it worldwide uh, a position, an artistic position. And then later on in the 60s, to simplify things, there was uh, May 68 and it became very difficult to paint because it was uh, looked at as a bourgeois uh, art. The same thing happened to Matisse. Henri Matisse was revolutionary and afterwards he was treated like a man who was uh, making paintings for bourgeois people, you know. Painting all over the 20th century was declared dead, but it always resurrects in, in some way, because um, in, in, my, in my generation, when I was doing painting in Luxembourg, at some point, uh, nobody was interested anymore in it. But that was also because many people are very manipulated by, by some kind of 
other people. It's always like that, that things work. But on the other hand, there was in the underground, everywhere there were young people that sprayed walls and that became uh, taggers. The first one was Basquiat, who became famous. So painting always had another door to get in. And I didn't know about it, but uh, later in 2005, six, seven. I, uh, I saw shows from uh, Toymans, Luc Toymans, a Belgian painter, Marlene Dumas, an, uh, a Dutch painter, a woman, and Hockney became famous again, and also a, a bit later Peter Doig. So I did the same thing on another on a different place. The difference is that I, I did it in Luxembourg and they did it on another another platform. I mean, it's different when you are known in New York than when you are known. In, in Luxembourg, at the beginning at least. One of the things you mentioned there is uh, it can be seen as a, a bourgeois activity. And uh, Suzanne, you talked about art being relevant. Some people might think that art is only bought by the rich echelon of society and certain people collect art for certain reasons. What are your feelings on that? And how do you as a museum try to open the doors to attract everybody? Well, I think the answer to your last question is actually lies in the fact of being a museum, because a museum is not a, we are not a private collection. A museum is there for the public. So our mission is 100% public. So immediately that notion of, oh, it's not available to us is taken out of the equation. The history of museums since they first started being put together or constituted was based on the idea of um, an accessibility f to the public with a pedagogical and did a didactic role. Now the idea of the museum is, and the definition of the museum, the very definition of what a museum is, is being hotly debated because museums are not just museums of art. We have museums of intangible cultural production. We have museums of beer. There is every type of museum that one could imagine. Ultimately, what do we think of museums? I think we like to think of them as open spaces and spaces where of encounter, spaces of exchange, spaces where people can agree to disagree. So here we have question in the case of our museum and a museum of art and contemporary art, uh, we have questions of taste or questions of what speaks to people, which is why we look very much to diversify the program that we have. So at the moment, if you visit Moudam, you can visit Jean-Marie's exhibition, which is a very beautiful exhibition where it's largely painting with some works on paper. But we have amazing installations by artists of many different mediums. We have video installations. It's different types of art that has been made, I would say, in the last 30 years. And we like to think that within that offer, there will be something that will interest somebody. They don't have to like everything. What we want to show is there's diversity. And within that diversity, there's the idea of, as I said, being able to agree to disagree. All artists don't think in the same way, and they never have. And some artists have, in fact, disagreed hotly with other artists or positions, the type of art they should be making or not be making, what, what an artist might consider to be relevant at any one time. We like to say, well, all of those positions are viable. What are the ones that we think are the most interesting or the most important to be showing now, here, to our public in this space in Luxembourg? There are many levels to that. Back to your question about the idea of the bourgeoisie. I'm sorry. Marxism is over. 
it's finished that discussion about the bourgeoisie. I mean, now we're all struggling to say, well, what's happened to the middle class at all, just in terms of our current economic, socio-political condition and situation across the world. So I think that's a very old-fashioned thing. What I would add to what Jean-Marie was saying, which is a very nice very fluid exposition of the place of painting within the history of modern art, certainly, and contemporary art, is that painting is also about storytelling. And we were talking about that a little bit earlier, just before we began this podcast, that we all need stories and we all tell stories. We all live what are stories in a way. We live our own stories. And painting uh, contains within it many different stories, it, depending on the nature of the painting, if it's figurative, in the case of Jean-Marie, if it's abstract. And then there's the story of painting itself. And within that story, there are many quotations that one might find within the work of an artist such as Jean-Marie, where they are consciously drawing upon a history of painting that they know and using the, those different languages in a way that they can construct something that is their own form of expression. The other dimension of painting, which I think maintains its relevance and its interest for people, regardless of their background, culture, class, is the fact that somebody made it. And there's something we can call it the lived value uh, or the value of lived experience that is contained within a painting. When we look at a painting, we can be struck by its composition, by the colour. The physical phenomena of painting relates to the optics of colour and the pigments, and whether they're natural, artificial, how large the area, etc., their, their relationship to one another. All of those things somehow work. We respond to them physically and organically. But there's also, I think, this connection that we can have with painting because we can detect the trace of another. And I think it's a, there's a human connection that happens when you look at painting. Even if you don't necessarily like what you see, you connect with that humanity. Well, that's beautifully put. And of course, we were there looking at your strokes of your hand yesterday, Jean-Marie. And not just that, but as I walked around and, and looked at your paintings and drawings, I saw my initial take on it. Then I spoke to you and you told me about the hidden stories within some of these paintings and the connection to previous artists' work. I don't know whether you'd like to share some of those hidden finds within your paintings with our audience. I can. It's possible. <laughs> In the beginning, when you start becoming a painter as a child, I think the first thing that makes you become a painter one day is that you look at image, not at the outside world, but really people who made images, whether it was comic strips like Tintin or painters that draw in the street that painted Madonnas with pastel colors. I remember when I was a child, I was fascinated by this. I was a normal child. I, I played football like every other kids, but I read a lot of books and I loved to look at images. Although I was not born in a, in a world of images, when you look at paintings, you get an understanding of how art works. And people look at a, any painting of any time, I think they are always 
some hidden messages. It can be humorous, it can be hidden things. In paintings, there are always two, two views to them. I remember I have in my mind a painting by uh, Van Eyck, which is very known of the man who collected money from people who wanted to have a um, portrait of him with a Madonna where he's praying to get to heaven, you know. Van Eyck, he went and put uh, his wallet with the money on his side and the man he said you have to take this away and then afterwards he thought no he has to paint it again because then people see how powerful I am and then Van Eyck where you don't expect it you look through three windows you have the first scene with that man and the Madonna and Jesus and then you look through three windows and that those three windows three is a was a, a sacred number in the head of people like Van Eyck and it was the door the gate to to heaven to paradise so he put two how do you call that uh, kind of blackbirds they, they pee en français Ma uh, magpies yes into the paradise which is impossible and every farmer every simple man he, he was just laughing because it was the stealer who goes to paradise you understand yeah. and and you don't expect it and i i think uh, all through the history there are little things like that in in a painting i i work in the same way i think that's one of the the degrees of paintings you have if somebody sees just a tree or a heaven in what i do that's absolutely okay to me you know but when i was young I was very direct in my paintings. I wanted to change things or to produce a different world because we were young and we were I came out from 68 and from the hippies. The more I grew up at 40, you want to be um, honest, to, to remain honest with the market, to be honest with yourself. And when I became 50, then I thought uh, all this is not important. What is important is not that you expect something from people, but it's important to give, to offer something to people. And that's exactly the show we build up now. That's also why I, we did not make a retrospective. I, I, we had a very short discussion and it was very soon clear that we would not show elder work. It is interesting, but we'll do, do that in 20 years or something like that, you know. Well, you hit again on, on a number of points and something that's very clear, of course, the very fact that you're being showcased at Mudam is that you're an artist and have been your whole life and you wanted to be one since you were a child, even though you weren't born into that family. I know your father worked with the, the ironworks in the south of Luxembourg and we spoke yesterday about you growing up in Doudelange and when you grew up there, it was a very grey, dark city because of the smoke from the steel factories and yet you had this in you. So when you think about a young person who might want to be an artist today, how do you think they can do that and become successful in a financial way also when one thinks about how you can earn money from art there are galleries, but they take quite a hefty percentage. Nowadays, there's the internet. You can have exhibitions, but you can only be, you know, showcased at a place like Mudam after you've had a lifetime of work, potentially, or at least a substantial amount of work. So what would your advice be to young artists to build up a customer base of loyal fans or how to promote your own work? Because art is actually quite an 
introspective career. It's quite a lonely profession. I think there is no system. The thing I would tell young people is to be humble in the beginning because many come to my place and say, I want this and I want that. Yes, of course. But when we were young, we were humble because there was absolutely no platform in Luxembourg, even no art school backing me. And then slowly I got into galleries. I started to work with galleries. And it's I'm not against the system, but it's very heavy. It's a, a middle-aged system. You are really a slave for decades. I would say to anybody who wants to be an artist, if you have any choice to do something else, go for it. But if you have no choice, if you rather would die than to become an artist, then you are really an, you are made for it. Afterwards, when I was young, people told me it's impossible, but I'm still there. So I think that now people say it's impossible, but uh, I think those who really are artists, they can go for it. It's a matter of being very radical. Or you die of it, or you, you succeed. But that's the challenge. You know. Suzanne, you will have studied a whole lifetime of artists, dead and alive. What have you seen through your work, through the various museums around the world where you have worked and lived? What's your advice to people who might want to become an artist or those even in the middle of their careers now? I mean, I, <laughs> I think they have to stick at it, definitely. I agree with Jean-Marie. They need good teachers. Teachers or mentors are very important to them. I think it's my sense that for artists, it's extremely important to be able to have a dialogue and an exchange about their work. I think isolation can be a problem, and that's where being able to exhibit their work helps. It's a very brave thing to do. I've always thought, It's one of the most courageous things that you could do is to put on public display your own work and then it's there for people to respond to as they wish. With that courage can come a great deal of benefit for an artist if they can sort of listen and respond to um, how people are seeing their work. Um, but I think it's especially artists being able to speak with other artists is really important. And I think it's age old. I think this idea of the mentor, the idea of the artist studio, having someone to speak to. Art schools can, are very important in that respect, but they're not the only means. There's other ways. Jean-Marie is proof of this. But I think it doesn't just come. You have to work at it and you have to have the desire to do it. All of the great artists that I've been able to admire and study and sometimes have the privilege of working with over time are artists who have always been brave. I think they're incredibly courageous because, yes, they, to maintain, they have to persist. They often have to work in very difficult conditions, lives of precariousness, And somehow to be able to hold their own and hold their line in maintaining their independence and clarity. It's interesting you talked about customers. I mean, I think that's probably an anathema to an artist. I don't think they think in terms of customers. They think about people who collect art. Of course, we like to think they all appreciate art, although there's a new class of collectors who are speculators. But for the most part, people collect art because they love it. And that's always been important to artists, just as museums are recognizing an artist's work by buying work in the collection or displaying it is very important. Public commissions, all of these things, they're very important for an artist because they're a form of recognition. They're also a form of enabling because artists need means to be able to continue to do their work. But through the experience of creating work, through the experience of showing their work, they're also able to 
uh, engage in their own internal dialogue about the directions they want to take in their work and how they want to develop. The really central thing is commitment. And people are not born artists. They may have the talent. They may have the capacity. Many people who are born with that capacity are not necessarily given the opportunity or do not necessarily take the opportunity to to develop it. So there's a question of choice is very important there. And then I'd say the question of perseverance and of courage and of clarity, those things are very, very important to someone becoming an artist, an artist that you continue to look at. Well, I'm sorry if I use the word customer. Well, I think the, the expression I have written here in front of me is a customer base of loyal fans. But of course, there are the speculators as well for perhaps tax reasons or various other. We won't go down that avenue. But I did want to pick up on what you spoke of earlier, Jean-Marie, and it's galleries. And perhaps they are slightly outdated in some respects, but it's the percentages they take. And when we were talking yesterday in the gallery, I mean, I was aware of about 50%, but you said in some galleries it can go up to 96%. Nowadays, yes, but that that are very unhonest people. I I heard that from a friend in France who had this proposition, but um, normally it's 50% and uh, they put it together with ours and then they divide it in two, so you come to 56%. And the problem is that you work maybe one year for an exhibition, you go on the ba- on your bank account, your working account, you go into the cellar, and if you sell, it's okay, and you pay back the bank first. And you, you all the time are running after a hole, you know, you have to fill up again, you have a family to make live. What I don't like is the system, uh, because they have every month, they have a show. Okay, they work, they do also shows in uh, Basel and in Cologne, and in and they, they pay a lot of money there, so they invest themselves as well. But what I, I always had a problem in Luxembourg, when I was in Basel, I was there with a Belgian gallery. When I was in Cologne, that was um, Bastians from the Netherlands that took me there, but never Luxembourgish gallery. One lady, one did it, but she asked us to ask the government to get money to pay the stand for her, you see. I think that's a podcast to come because it sounds like things need to potentially change there on both sides to make it work. What I mean is in uh, the beginning of the 20th century, when galleries rose up, uh, gallerists like Kahnweiler were really people that had a vision. They saw Picasso and they took tremendous risk to show this kind of work. Uh, It's just an example. And then they bought part of his work and they offered it to customers. But Picasso was able to work because he got a little bit of money, at least in the beginning, or Matisse or people like that. And they don't do that anymore. They are just, you take 100% of risk. If you don't sell, they throw you out of the gallery or they don't show you anymore. And that's what I don't like, you know, in the system. But now they got a problem because with internet, young artists have a platform that they never had before. When I look back in my career, I worked 30 years. I was a kind of known in a very small circle of collectors who are friends, to give you an answer to your question before. Really good friends, because without those people, I would not exist. I would not show, uh, have the show at Mudam. But on the other hand, 
We had no platform where people, normal people, could see that an artist is somebody who works every day. And I can I can show this on Facebook. Uh, the process of and some people, the more and more people look at this, and galleries have a uh, concurrence. They are not alone showing work. A competition in some way. Of course, it's very different. I always tell people go to the shows, go to the museum, go to to look at paintings for real. And young artists, I'm sure that they use it and I'm sure that galleries have to rethink their whole system of functioning. Absolutely. I think that is a conversation to be had in the future, but it's wonderful with the medium of the internet, Facebook, whichever you choose to use, a fan, somebody who wants to see how you work, can see the continual process and not just the final product, which is what we have in galleries or on display in other places. Just bringing it back to today, we've all sat through COVID, coronavirus. It's affected everybody in different ways. How has Mudam had to rethink this? Well, it's still going on, <laughs> as we know. I would rather sort of respond by saying it's how are we addressing the situation? The question of rethinking is something we're beginning to do. Obviously, with the closure of the museum, which happened on the 13th of March, we reopened on the 11th of May. In Luxembourg, we were quite fortunate, although two months felt a very, very long time. We had to reorganize ourselves as a, as a staff to be able to be in contact technologically, to be able to communicate, to establish a system of communication, um, which went from the personal phone call to the sort of departmental Zoom meetings to I would hold a weekly Zoom afternoon tea where we were really working with different levels of... It wasn't so much about making the museum function, but making sure we all somehow stayed connected and we could exchange about what was going on. But we also, in parallel at the same time, recognised the importance of maintaining a connection with our public. I think we, it was worrying at first because we think of ourselves as a Museum of Contemporary Art as an institution that's capable of responding to what's going on around us through the work that we show and the types of programs that we prepare in a very effective and relatively rapid way. But here, I think we were like, what do we do? How do we show our relevance? How do we show that we're still there and we are relevant? And it was particularly our educational team, what we call the Service de Public, who came up within the first week with a set of programs that we could work with online. And we put online, so we, we unfolded them, but it began with workshops, um, all based around Jean-Marie's exhibition, actually, but beautifully produced video shots, I guess, of how to make things, storytelling, and then we developed tours, virtual tours. Um, so we developed a whole program of content, which now we're wanting to keep going, but in parallel with the functioning of the museum. We also, from my perspective, is it was important for us to also keep in touch with what we call in English our stakeholders, the Ministry of Culture, but also with fellow directors here. So I'm part of a, a cert, what we call the circle of directors. I mean, it's not all directors, but we're directors of institutions, be they the Philharmonie or the Rocal or the Théâtre National de Luxembourg, the Abbey de Neumünster, Les Rotondes, the Casino. So we're all working in different ways, but where we could actually talk and exchange and also in relation to the evolution of the situation, which then evolved into a, 
uh, phased reopening of cultural institutions. And we're still maintaining that exchange, which has proved very valuable to us. Um, but also with sponsors wanting and patrons, who are very important to us, to let them know this is what we've been doing, we're going to reopen, how important their support for the museum is, and also to remind people that the museum has a role and that we will be relying on their support all the more when we finally come out of this. And then on another level, I'd say there's a level of advocacy for museums and as part of culture and cultural production in the world. I um, found myself very engaged with that both here in Luxembourg with my colleagues, really wanting to support our Minister of Culture, who's a very good minister, we believe, and who really understands the role of culture, but to enable her to, to allow ourselves to think that the arguments that we might present to her could be useful to her in her discussions at a ministerial level, but also in the world. And so I'm a member of the board of the International Committee of Modern and Contemporary Art Museums. And so we were meeting almost once a week because we realized we had to cancel our annual conference. But how do we reach out to our six, it's around 640 members globally from every country in the world. And how do we maintain a conversation? How can we exchange? How can we learn from what's going on in different countries in terms of our response to this crisis. So there's a lot of different levels that are involved, which are the levels that are part of what it is to actually direct a museum. Now, you know, we don't quite know where we are. The museum is open. We It was wonderful at the beginning to see people coming in masked, not quite sure what to do, but I was there. I remember I think I kind of, I hope pleasantly shocked some visitors when I was there on a Saturday morning and a family came in all masked and they didn't seem to have ever been in the museum before and they were looking around. They didn't quite know what to do and we'd sort of indicated circuits through the different galleries at that time. And I said, hello, are you? do you want some help? I said, I'm the director of the museum. And they went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they must have thought really? they'd hit the but jackpot. <laughs> I felt that it was a time when you have to be there to I, to show people that you we're so happy that they're there. And what we've seen now, we have probably about 40, between 35 to 40% of our normal attendance to the museum relative to certainly the previous few years. But we see that it really means something to people because the museum, to come back to this earlier question you asked at the very beginning, what's the role of the museum or what's the place of the museum or what's the place of Mudam? You know, it's a place where people can feel free. Also in relation to this question of painting, what is it when you see a painting? Why do you respond? What is it you, when you see any work of art? Well, we don't know, but that's the whole idea, the freedom to look, the freedom to interpret things as you wish. And in a world where more and more is becoming determined in terms of how we live through necessity, but not always, um, we don't all have we don't have the choice about the way the economic system is structured. We think in democratic countries that we are free, but we're we're not. But museums are a place where we can experience a sense of freedom in terms of what we think and who we are through that encounter with art. And at Mudam, we have the benefit of having this very beautiful, open very free circulation within the architecture of the museum. And I think that enhances that idea of freedom. And so that's something that uh, is giving us a lot of pleasure, is reinforcing uh, why we are there and, and the role of the museum. 
Well, anybody who's ever visited Mudam comes away with a sense of space because the architecture is really outstanding. And of course, I would recommend that visit to anybody who lives in or comes to Luxembourg. Finally, I just wanted to ask you both, but I'll turn to you first, Jean-Marie. This time of quarantine and being at home, I feel it's just a personal thought, knowing friends of mine and my own family, a lot of people have become more creative. We've been at home. It's been a time where some people have turned to artistic endeavours. So along with Mudam and the educational workshops online and, and now at the museum itself, uh, accompanying your artwork, and I know you yourself give workshops to young people, talk to adults as well. What would you say to people who are at home, maybe spending the summer more at home than they would have otherwise planned, to think about bringing art into their life and their holidays at home? I think everybody should be creative because everybody can be creative in a way. Many people don't think of it. It's a pity that most people think uh, that the handy is their only uh, way of life anymore. They get up in the morning and mine is most of the time it's uh, it's off. <laughs> so, But I think because we had the uh, workshops with young people, they are very open to everything. What I, looking backwards now to my my uh, my exhibition, there are two things that I really would love to say. First thing is that young people like the work I do, which is very astonishing, because most of the time an artist grows old with his work. It's, it's a normal development, but they are very astonished when I show them how to make color or how to make ink and to to get um, you know a feather a bird feather and to write or to draw with it things very simple things that they don't know they they know a computer but not a bird feather and that fascinates them that's one point the other point is i have had people that rang me up on the phone that never had been in a museum in their, their whole life, maybe as a child in the National Museum. And they then. can get to you on the phone and, when it's and, switched and on. Yes, there was a lady, um, she said, I'm a farmer, lady. I must ring you up. I said, uh, what happened? I went to your show and uh, I, I was crying in front of your paintings. And I, if somebody would ever have told me that I would cry in front of a painting, I would have said, you are crazy. So that's why I, I, I give you a phone call. And that's amazing, you know, that's, that's absolutely amazing. amazing. There's also a, a way of being creative, being receptive to things like my artwork. You can, you can walk through it uh, very coldly and say it's painting, it does not interest me. But so that, that was something that uh, really touched me. I can imagine what yes. paintings they may have been, having just seen them yesterday, of the, the wonderful countryside scenes that you have and the harvesting and the dog through the field, running through the field of what I think is wheat. Yes. Um, I mean, it's not all just about money, you know. Yesterday, it was one of the guardians who said, you're making a service après-vente after selling service. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's not, not just that. What he did not know is a couple of days, a very good friend of mine, he died and he, he chose to die by himself. And I am just uh, affected by that. He did not know that. So I want to give something to people, but I did not tell him that. But it's, a life is much more complicated than just business, you know. Money is, uh, you need it to do something. 
But I, I never w lived for money. If I would have lived for money, I would have become a, a banker or I don't know, a, an insurance agent or I don't know what, but something, n never an artist, you know. It's, it's much more complex than just business, you know. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. No, no, it's not a problem. It's just a, a matter of fact that afterwards I thought uh, he told me this and he doesn't see things as, as they are in their completeness. Life is much more than just something you can see. There's always a background. Well, we also spoke yesterday about something that happened in your own life about 15 or so years ago when you had a heart attack. Oh, yes, well... It changed yeah, yeah. how you view your relationships with certain work associates and also how you chose to paint. Everybody should know that at any time anything can happen. But when it happens, then you know it all the time. <laughs> That's the difference. So that changes everything. Mm. Suzanne, have you any final words for our audience? No, I mean, I'm so moved by hearing Jean-Marie talk about uh, this lady who came to see his the exhibition and who'd never been to a museum before and who was crying in front of the painting. I mean, for me, it's like my work is done. <laughs> I feel this is what it's all about. And I think that Jean-Marie's painting speaks to people. It speaks to people. I'm not from Luxembourg and it speaks to me, but the fact that it can speak to people, they recognize themselves and their lives within what he does with his painting I think is is so powerful and so important and it makes me all the more uh, proud if I can say for, for Moudam to be able to show his work. And the final word to you Jean-Marie. I think what Susan says, Suzanne says is, is my opinion. Um, I thought about what I do can be uh, criticized. But on the other hand, I was thinking about art history. And there are always uh, many ways to do art at any time, in space of time. You always had ugly work or nasty work or cynical work or you always had that. Arsene Boldo was uh, cynical in a way or Grunewald was awful uh, in 1500. But what really survives in the mind, in the global mind of people, is beauty, like ancient Egyptian, or Lascaux, the paintings in Lascaux, or um, the uh, medieval um, illuminations, uh, Les Livres d'Or. You, you know what I mean? That's, I think that beauty is, an, in the end, what everybody is uh, looking for. And so maybe I'm wrong in what I'm doing, but I, I think I'll keep on on that way now. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. And I think for a few more months, people can go and visit Jean-Marie's uh, exhibition at Moudam. Five more weeks. It's until the end of August. Beyond that, I'm quite sure Jean-Marie can be found all over the internet and Facebook and various other places. And I know you have a very open heart and people can go and visit your studio when they can get hold of you on your phone. <laughs> And we wish you all the best with your continued artistic work of a lifetime. And thank you so much, Suzanne, for everything that you've done in Luxembourg with Mudam also. Thank you both so much. Thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm.